Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. An account of sexual misconduct set off a firestorm around Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court this weekend. We discuss his possible confirmation and talk Hurricane Florence and climate change with guest Elise Larson. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. For those of you who didn't know, Pantsuit Politics in part is listener supported. We have an army, a community, just the most amazing group of patrons on patreon.com who support Pantsuit Politics with small monthly donations. They help us pay our staff. They help us grow the show. It is so amazing to know that there are listeners who understand what we're trying to accomplish here supporting us every month so if you're interested in being a patron of pantsuit politics just go to patreon.com slash pantsuit politics and check it out 
And we should welcome our new executive producer on Patreon, Tim Miller, who was my mentor as a young lawyer and a really important person in my life. And it means a lot to me that Tim is joining us at this level. So thank you so much, Tim, and welcome. I had a friend reach out to me, Amir, I don't know, 30 minutes before this news broke and say, I want a sneak peek. What are y'all going to talk about on Tuesday? And I was like, I don't know. We'll just have to see what comes up in the news. And literally, I mean, it might not have been 30. It might have been 15 minutes. I literally opened up Twitter and I was like, oh, I texted Beth and said, I think we know what we're going to be talking about on Tuesday. One of the things that I've been noticing around this Brett Kavanaugh story is how fast everyone's positions develop. Mm -hmm. Because when this broke on Sunday, I started feeling like Tuesday is too far away to have this conversation. That seems like not a great thing to me. I did want some time to just read everything and get my arms around what we know. And I think that's an important sentiment, you know? So for those of you who have not read the breaking story about Brett Kavanaugh, the Washington Post broke a story that a California professor who previously had made these charges anonymously, has come forward. Her name is Christine Blasey Ford. She is a professor. She alleges that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her in high school when they were both high school students in suburban Maryland. She had sent the anonymous story to her Congress member and Senator Feinstein in July, but did not want to come out publicly. And then I think as she saw that the anonymous story was coming forward and it was becoming increasingly public and outside of her voice, you know, without her being uh, able to really share her side of what happened. Um, She's come out and talked about that one summer at a party, Kavanaugh pinned her to, this is from the post, while his friend watched, she said Kavanaugh pinned her to a bed on her back and groped her over her clothes, grinding his body against hers and clumsily attempting to pull off her one-piece bathing suit and the clothing she wore over it. When she tried to scream, she said he put his hand over her mouth. I thought he might inadvertently kill her, said Ford, now a 51-year-old research psychologist in Northern California. He was trying to attack me and remove my clothing. Her story is corroborated by therapist notes. This event upset her and left such lasting marks that she talked about it in couples therapy. And so there are therapist notes, and she's also taken a lie detector test and passed. Brett Kavanaugh has adamantly denied these allegations. The Senate Judiciary Committee Republicans have produced a letter from women who knew Brett Kavanaugh in high school talking about what a great dude he was then. And there is a sense from Republicans, Susan Collins is particularly in the spotlight on this, although I want to talk about that again in a second, that if this were a real thing, why is it just coming out now? And aren't Senate Democrats just trying to delay this confirmation so that we don't have the Supreme Court vacancy filled until after the midterm elections? So meeting a charge of sexual assault pretty serious sexual assault Mm -hmm. as I read the Washington Post story with this is just bad procedural maneuvering on the part of Democrats, which I would think someone would have counseled against given everything that we've learned this year, but apparently not. Well, Jeff Flake, who's Senator Jeff Flake, who's retiring, is sits on the Judiciary Committee, and he has now come out and said that they need to at least need to delay the proceedings and further investigate this story, which is, I think, encouraging. 
Corker and Murkowski as well. Uh huh. So you have the two males that are retiring and the two women. <laughs> it's not funny. I just can't help but laughing. Senator Collins has now said that both of them should testify under oath, which I also think is not the response here. That just seems like not the right response here. When this story broke, I immediately sort of, I could feel the the voices in my head parroting which I felt what I felt like were gonna was gonna be the response from Republican senators and the Kavanaugh team and the administration. And I knew the first thing that they were going to say was that it didn't happen and that it was so long ago. There's a lot of emphasis on how long ago it was in high school. And then, you know, and and before I read the Washington Post story, I will admit that I thought, yeah, it was a long time ago. You know, high school is a long time ago. And you can kind of hear your own voice saying, like, well, I don't want to be held responsible for everything I did in high school either. And then I read the story and I thought, no, that's bullshit because – she is very clearly still suffering from the effects of this event in high school. It's not like she was just living her life and thought, ooh, I got this great high school story to take down Brett Kavanaugh. She was in therapy. She's been traumatized. She carries scars from this interaction. And so if she has long-term consequences of it as the victim, I don't see why he shouldn't have long-term consequences of it as a perpetrator. And I think that what's important to zero in on is what those consequences are. Mm-hmm. He's not going to jail. <laughs> well, this is the thing. We have a standard in America of being innocent until proven guilty when we're going to take away life, liberty, or property. Things to which Brett Kavanaugh already has and is entitled, I don't believe that we should just rob him of based on one account before it's fully investigated. But he's not entitled to a seat on the Supreme Court. This is not the deprivation of something that belongs to him. Mm -hmm. It is saying, at this moment in history, should this person have this seat on this court, which is the highest court in our country, that has no accountability mechanism around it whatsoever? None. And I think the answer to that question is pretty clearly no. Mm -hmm. Even if it turned out that this was entirely made up, if five years from now we learned that this story was false, I do not believe that's going to happen. I believe this woman's account. I don't believe any woman sits around and says, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to fabricate this thing from whole cloth. It's going to be so fun. I think I'm going to put myself and my family through absolute hell because I don't like the look of this one. I just don't think that happens. Yep. But even if that happened here, I think the right thing at this moment in our history, knowing that the Clarence Thomas hearings nearly tore this country apart. Mm-hmm. This country's seams are even more stressed now than they were in the 90s. And we've just been through a year of learning person after person after person, systematic abuse of power in institutions, I think the right thing is for Brett Kavanaugh to withdraw. Yep. I think he should just say, even if he wants to continue to deny this, I'm not going to make any moral judgment about that. I just think he should stand up and say, you know what? In the judiciary, 
We litigate the individual facts of situations because this branch is about the individual. But the appointment to the highest court in our country is about more than the individual. Mm -hmm. And I can see that the country does not need this. I know what happened in the 90s. I had a front row seat, as a matter of fact. And we don't need that again. And my family doesn't need it. And I don't need it. And so I'm going to withdraw. I really think that's the right thing to do here. I 100% agree. There was a really great tweet from a journalist who said she had been speaking with a woman who had very credible accusations against a senior administration official. And the woman texted her and said, see, this is why I don't want to come forward. What they're doing to her right now is why I'm not going to tell my story. So far from the idea that this is just a environment ripe for a false accusations. I think it's the opposite. I think more often than not, women see how women who come forward get treated and go, nope, I'm going to keep it to myself, which is a shame, which is a which is unfair and unjust and a tragedy for moving our country forward. And I think Brett Kavanaugh, exactly like you said, should see that, should see that this is not the time or the proper moment to say to our country, hey, we have this this nominee who is already controversial. Whether you think the reasons he's controversial or not are fair, he is. And let's add on top of this, this incredibly intense, emotionally charged issue and this woman, you know, the one that really broke my heart was Rebecca Traster tweeted, like, I've spent my almost my entire career studying how we let Anita Hill happen, and I can't believe I'm about to see and watch us do it all over again. And I, I certainly hope that's not the case. So I want to address the reaction that a lot of men have had to this story. In particular, I've watched Tom Nichols go through it on Twitter for first saying, whoa, we got to be really careful with this, everybody. All the way through, that was a really bad take, and I'm sorry. Hmm. I think that it is not surprising for men, especially men of a certain age and especially professional men, to watch this story and start to go into the mode of, what if somebody falsely accused me? Mm -hmm. That is a human instinct, and I'm not mad at them for having that human instinct. I don't believe that it's true that you only worry about things if you have something to worry about. I think it's a human instinct for men to listen to see things like this happen and go, if that could happen to a Supreme Court nominee and it derails him from this opportunity, what could happen to me if somebody lied? Okay, I don't think every man has that instinct and I applaud the ones who don't, but I'm not mad at the ones who do. I think the next step, the next reasonable step, I was just talking to our executive producer, Tracy, about this is to just sit back and say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It is okay to struggle with these stories. If you knew Brett Kavanaugh personally, if you're the person who wrote that bizarre editorial about him driving in the carpool, if you know him personally and find this difficult to reconcile, just say, I don't know. I don't know is a mature, healthy, fair place to be. I'm not asking you to want Brett Kavanaugh's life to be ruined. 
I sit on this podcast all the time and talk about the importance of grace and redemption and forgiveness and not keeping people imprisoned forever or ruining people's lives over things that over the worst thing they ever did, right? We always say that. Even the worst thing you ever do, we don't want to take everything away from you for. You don't have to be calling for Brett Kavanaugh's head. You can just say, I don't know. But when you take your fear of what if this happened to me and it wasn't true, and you transpose that onto this entire situation that you really don't know anything about, that's when you start to really hurt people. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens on Twitter as these stories come out, because it's not just that men have that fear. It's that women have the experience of something happening that was unjust. Maybe it was a little something. Maybe it was a big something. But when you start to see people react out of that fear and go on the attack against the victim, that is what escalates these situations so rapidly into the kind of thing that really pulls us apart in very detrimental ways. One of my guiding principles of life is that I am not an expert in someone else's experience. And the hot takes that really make my head want to explode with rage is the men who imply they know women like her and they know what motivates women by her and they just, they can see right through her and they just really get it. That's the ones that make me just want to scream with rage. The idea that, oh, you're just... You're the one who really understands this situation and really understands this woman as a man. Like, oh, man, those just send me off the deep end. This is just one of those spaces where it would be so much better for everyone to calm down Mm. and do some introspection. How am I reacting to this and why am I reacting that way? I felt myself get really upset when this story broke. So just as men have the reaction, some men have the reaction of what if this happened to me and it was false, a lot of women right now are having the reaction of, are you kidding me? We're doing this again. And that is also reasonable. And I hope that just as I am making an effort to understand the what if this happened to me and it was false reaction, people having that reaction can make an attempt to understand why are you kidding me is reasonable right now. Mm And I'm just trying to, like, sit back from that and watch everything and understand. It is hard. I don't want to be held accountable for everything I've ever done in my life either. And so I get it when people say it was so long ago. It was high school. But then I think, no, this is a really serious thing Mm -hmm. that we're talking about here. A really serious thing that was really damaging to this woman And again, I don't want to take his life away. I'm not even saying that he shouldn't be a circuit judge anymore. I don't know enough to make that kind of decision, and it's not my decision to make. So I'm not going to go down that path mentally. I'm just saying right now, at this moment in history, is this a person who belongs on our Supreme Court? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. With the cloud, one big principle in the judiciary is we don't even want the perception of misconduct. They talk about that constantly in judicial ethics. We don't even want the perception of bias. We don't even want the perception that I have taken something that I'm not entitled to and it's influenced me inappropriately. He, I just don't think he can go through this experience. And I get that that, that makes other people say, well, now every single person is going to be accused. 
And nobody's ever going to want to sit on the bench. But that's not even true. Neil Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch sailed right through just fine. Went to the same dang school where this event actually happened. So come on. I don't think that's necessarily true either. I don't think so either. I don't think that that is a risk. I think we already have the risk of good people not wanting to serve for fear of what happens to their families and their reputations in the process. But this this to me is just, it's it's too explosive of an issue to even have hearings. I just don't want us to have hearings about this. I don't want us to do Clarence Thomas again. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we can handle it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that Gorsuch did go through because there just, it just, there wasn't anything, you know, it was painful and I'm not saying it was, there weren't partisan aspects to it, but there wasn't even a millimeter of something else. And I just think it's too fine of a margin. You've already blown up the nuclear option. Like all these things combined, it's just not, it's not okay. It's just not okay. And why put your flag down over this if you're a Republican? Because they're afraid they're going to lose the Senate in the House. That's why. <laughs> That's why. Because they're afraid they're going to lose and then they won't be able to get anybody there. Yeah. Well, I, I, some things are worth it. I don't know. Or here's a th- here's the thing. You can maybe find somebody everybody could agree on. Shocking. I know. Go find another Kennedy who's a swing vote. There are lots of judges, mm-hmm. lots and lots of judges. I don't know why you would why you would take this risk in the run up to the midterms. Honestly, like even if you can't get him through, go to the voters with the economy. There are plenty yeah. of things to talk about besides Donald Trump and judges. Yeah, but I mean, if you have suburban women already mad at your party, you think this is going to help? No, it's not, right? In the most just politically pragmatic way here. But again, if you're Mitch McConnell and your legacy is confirming conservative justices and you're willing to, you know, get rid of the filibuster and all manner of other things, then, I mean, has he shown us at any point that he's not willing to go to these lengths to get a justice there? Like, he doesn't even have to wait on the committee. I know. And this is why I'm so disappointed in Susan Collins' response to this so far. There's a part of me that just gets really angry that Collins and Murkowski always have to carry the ethical weight for the party. And I think that's unfair. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfair. It's not only unfair, it's a pretty heavy lift at this point in history. Well, it's a heavy lift. And it and it's like extracting another price for patriarchy and misogyny. But mm-hmm. be that as it may... For Collins' first statement to be a reaction to procedural posturing on the part of Democrats upsets me. And and do I believe that this was known well in advance of this week? Absolutely. Do I think that there's some game gamification going on on the Democratic side? Yes, I do. I don't care because the country doesn't live in that world. The country lives in the world where we're mm-hmm. going to be arguing at our kitchen tables over whether somebody who did this in high school can get on the Supreme Court. And Republicans wrote that playbook. So I'm sorry that Democrats are using it now, too. But you guys made this bed. Mm -hmm. And so that's just not leadership to respond that way. It's just not leadership. And we need leadership at this moment. So can I, Sarah, read a long quote from Megan Garber, who I just want to tell me everything in her head because I think she's so brilliant. Please. I thought this really helped me understand my own mood about this issue. So writing in The Atlantic, she she has this piece called The Phantom Reckoning. 
And she starts by talking about Les Moonves. Moonves is gone, Stephen Colbert summed things up on The Late Show this week. He paused for at least nine months until he does his set at the Comedy Cellar. The joke was prophetic. There are indeed shades of Louis C.K.'s warp speed return in the recent saga of Les Moonves. The executive, it was quickly reported, isn't fully leaving CBS. Instead, he will remain at the network to, quote, perform transition advisory services. The flog Mm -hmm. logic of too big to fail appends itself just as readily, it seems, to those who have delivered unto the world the jingle that begins with men, 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 manly men, 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 and concludes with a climactic men. (laughs) A CBS board member in discussing Moonves's demi-departure lauded the executive's 24 years of service as if he were simply a happy retiree on the cusp of being presented with his golden watch, which was, for all its dissonance, fitting. There remains a chance, after all, that Moonves will depart CBS not with a golden timepiece so much as a golden parachute, pending the results of an investigation being conducted by law firms that are kept on retainer by CBS. He still stands to exit his role with as much as $100 million in severance. And even if he earns nothing more, he will leave the network with a net worth estimate to be $700 million. Guilt, guilt, shocking, predictable. What happened at CBS this week mingles real culpability with a shadow form of it. It combines direct consequences for alleged misbehavior with something more suggestive of accountability theater, a slow-moving performance that shares its lines and lights and cues with many other Me Too-related cycles, the revelation of abuses enacted by the powerful, the carefully constructed gestures of contrition. CBS accompanied the Moonves news with the announcement that it is giving $20 million to as yet unspecified women's advocacy organizations. The scant evidence beyond that of the kind of deep self-examination on the part of individuals or the organizations that enabled them that can lead to real and systemic change. There have been, over the past months, very many rote recitations of the letter of the law and very few articulations of the spirit. So many empty performances of remorse, so many shadows obscuring the mirror American culture was meant to hold up to itself as people summoned their courage and shared their stories. The new world promised in the most hopeful moments of Me Too has thus far not materialized and little wonder. Its occupants live despite it all in the land of the phantom reckoning. Ooh. Fire. It's really good. It's really good. And feeling that, I think, is exactly why I just, I can't take it to go through this with Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, because here's the thing, too. While one camp acts as if losing the chance to be on the Supreme Court is the end of the world and such a reckoning, the other side recognizes that that's still a phantom reckoning. (laughs) Losing your chance to be a Supreme Court justice is not the real reckoning for something that you've lived without consequences for doing to somebody for 30 years as they were suffering the trauma of the event. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. It's not a real reckoning. And I am less interested in the personal reckoning of Brett Kavanaugh. I don't need to make those judgments or decisions based on what I've read so far. I believe the woman's account. I do not pretend to know what the next steps are for either of those people to move forward in a healthy way. I just know that for the country to move forward in a healthy way, 
we don't need this. And if Brett Kavanaugh is who all of his defenders say he is, I think he should step up and just recognize that and take himself out of the equation. Well, we shall see. On to another story that has not made these headlines, but I think is important. And thank you to our listener, Lissa, for flagging this for us. We talked several episodes ago about the government's sharpened focus on birth certificates near the border. And we discussed how individuals born near the border to midwives in home birth situations in any context outside of a hospital um, were having to go to extra steps to prove their American citizenship. Well, this has now happened in Kansas. I mean, y'all, I have two children. With, <laughs> this is about as close as it gets. I mean, I have two children born at home. Thank God they already have passports because are they going to say they're not American citizens because they were born at home? Seriously? So here's what happened in Kansas. A woman named Gwyneth Barbara was born in a farmhouse in the 1970s in Leavenworth County. She had a birth certificate. Her father went to the courthouse days after she was born to certify her birth, raised, seal, and all, according to this story. She submits her documentation for a passport. She gets a letter back telling her the application was denied. And it required further documentation in the form of a border crossing card or green card for your parents issued prior to your birth. Her parents were born in the United States. None of those things were applicable to her. They ask for early religious records or a family Bible. I mean, I don't understand why her parents' birth certificates are not good enough. It's bananas. The whole thing is bananas. What our government is trying to do right now is beyond me. When I think of all the things that deserve federal attention and scrutiny, seriously, this is way down the bottom of the list. Home birth babies. Who knew it was such a threat to national security? I promise you Griffin and Amos are not a threat to national security, despite the fact that they were born at home. They are American citizens. I mean... Can I just tell you, in the universe of things I thought about before deciding on a home birth, this was not on it. What the heck? Well, what I think is even crazier, like, part of the reason that I am conservative is because I think families should be able to make choices like this. Right. I do not believe that the government should be able to tell us that having our babies in hospitals is the right idea. If you make the decision mm -hmm. to have a home birth, I want you to be able to make that decision. For you to suffer consequences of not being able to get a passport, having to constantly prove your citizenship because of a change like this under a conservative government just makes my head explode. The, mm -hmm. the, this is the overreach of the bureaucracy. Well, before we move on to our main segment and our gratitude moments, we wanted to take a moment and recognize everyone suffering under Hurricane Florence and Typhoon Mangut, which is in the Philippines and really beat the heck out of Hong Kong. Um, people have died in both storms. There are communities still suffering from the damage and the water. And this is really the long-term effects of climate change. We're seeing these play out in our lives right now, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about um, in our next segment with Elise Larson. But first, we need to share our gratitude moment. Beth, what's your gratitude moment? I am grateful for correcting the mistakes of the past today. In 1967, Jocelyn Bell Brunel discovered pulsars as part of her graduate work. 
pulsars are rapidly spinning, highly magnetized stars. And she discovered this system about the size of San Francisco with the mass of the sun. Because she was a grad student at the time, her advisor was credited with the discovery. And her advisor was credited with the discovery not only in having his name appear in academic journal articles about it, he was given the Nobel Prize with another guy for his, quote, definitive role in discovering Mm -hmm. pulsars. Definitive. But history has corrected itself because Jocelyn Bell... If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Brunel was just awarded the Breakthrough Prize in Fundamental Physics along with its $3 million award. Yay, that's awesome. And she is going to use that money to create a scholarship for women, minority, and refugee graduate students because of her experience. Well, I am also, in a way, recognizing the correction of past mistakes. And not only is that, but my gratitude moment is also a little bit of compliment the other side. I am grateful for American diplomats. And specifically, I am grateful that our current Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has nearly doubled the promotions of top American diplomats. He's trying to restore the health of the diplomatic workforce due to some decisions of his predecessor, Rex Tillerson. He is really working hard. I appreciate the effort to put our diplomatic corps back where it should be. I really, good work, Mike Pompeo. I'm grateful for you recognizing this is an issue and working to correct it. Next up, we are going to talk with Elise Larson, a biologist at Georgetown who studies butterflies, which I think is amazing, about climate change and sustainability. We are here with Elise Larson. Elise, you reached out to us as part of our guest hopes submission and kind of called us out in a very graceful way, which I appreciated. Like you guys are touching on the fringes of sustainability pretty often, but not talking about it enough or in a lot of depth. So here you are to talk with us about it more and in a lot of depth. And we responded, yes, because we're scared and we don't want to talk about it because we're so scared. Or at least that was my thought process. I was like, yeah, she's exactly right. It's because I'm so scared. I can go dark so fast when I think so about dark. it. so dark. That's fair. Well, tell everybody who you are and, and why this topic is important to you. Sure. So I'm Elise Larson. I'm a biology researcher at Georgetown University, but I'm also just a person living in Virginia, seeing all the news that everybody else sees. And it can be scary looking at how climate change is already affecting us. And we really need to stop burying our heads in the sand or hiding from that fear and actually coming out and seeing the hope and seeing the solutions and working together to uh, start moving on those. Because honestly, the longer we wait to do that, the worse it's going to be. So it's time. We've waited long enough and we need to get moving on that. Uh, I study butterflies currently. I've also studied birds. And, you know, we see in the natural world that animals and plants are already responding to climate change. We see animals and plants shifting towards the poles to try to follow the temperatures and the climate that they're adapted to. And no matter where you look in the world, we're already seeing changes. And the, the situations where they can't move into a better place is where we're also seeing the you know, declines. A lot of people associate climate change with polar bears. They don't have any further north to go. <laughs> so it's happening here as well as there. And it's time for us to really you know, square ourselves and deal with that reality. Well, 
here is my struggle. So I'm not a scientist. If y'all are depending on me to figure out how to make the best battery, the world is in <laughs> dire straight. Like I, that's not my, my gift. That's not I'm, your job. That's not my job. I'm not a scientist. I'm a political person. I already vote my climate change values. I would never support a candidate who does not recognize climate change. I mean, I worked on environmental policy when I was on the Hill. My old boss at the Hill um, is a passionate environmentalist, um, works for Al Gore's organization now. So like I'm, I'm in politically. I can't contribute scientifically. I do what I feel like the best I can as far as recycling, paying attention to my energy usage, reducing my meat intake. I do all the things. And so I, that's where I struggle is like, what else can I do? I feel like if I swim around in climate change news and I don't need to be convinced. And so since I don't mm -hmm. need to be convinced, sometimes reading that stuff and talking about it just depresses me. That's fair. Uh, it, a lot of people feel that way. We're up against a, a big challenge. And you know, hearing that you're doing all of those things is wonderful. There are so many things we can do in our daily lives that do make small incremental changes, um, whether it's looking at renewable power or not driving when we don't have to, carpooling or walking or biking. You know, transportation is our biggest input to the emissions. So the more that we can cut back there, the better off. We are. And really, you know, everybody has to see where they are on the spectrum and what the next step is. Everybody isn't going to be the person that makes that battery, but we need to be encouraging our children to, you know, explore careers that could include that. One of the big ways that we can fight climate change is by encouraging women's education around the world. The way we get a diverse set of solutions is by hearing from a diverse set of people and perspectives. I love that. And by inviting all those people, you know, I don't know who the engineer is who's going to, you know, create the battery that I hope is one day, you know, in my house, but they're out there and we don't know who it is. So we need to, you know, support education generally, but especially women's education around the world. So you sent us an article, Elise, about Americans and how even Americans living in the most sparse ways imaginable contribute more carbon to the planet than anybody else in the world. Can you unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Because I was blown away when I read that article. Right. So, you know, we talked a little bit about individual actions and individual footprints. Anybody can go out there and take a a carbon footprint quiz to get a sense of where their emissions are coming from on a personal level. But we are not islands. We live in a society. We go to stores that use energy and ship goods across the country and across the world. We go to hospitals. We go to workplaces. And so what is happening at all those places matters too. And that's what that article was about. So the article that I sent was, um, I think of it more as a thought experiment from a class at MIT where they, just, they interviewed a lot of people and they tried to look at what the carbon footprint is. Their conclusion is that, right, even a person on an extremely low carbon you know, set of activities here in the U.S., that kind of lifestyle, because they are in the U.S., 
and participating in the social infrastructure around them, that that infrastructure has a higher carbon footprint than a lot of people around the world. That alone is about the average global footprint let it, without any of our daily uh, personal lifestyle choices. And so what that tells me is it's it's wonderful when we, you know, say meatless Mondays or I'm going to, you know, give up certain parts of my diet. That's great. I'm going to take public transportation. That's wonderful. But we need to start moving beyond that. We need to start, you know, challenging businesses to become more carbon neutral. We need to engage with our communities, our local governments, our state governments, and what's going on around us. Can I just ask you to talk to me about some things that I'm afraid of? Um, because I really struggle on climate change with with having any nuance. Like when I get into it, I find myself going to these really extreme or places that feel extreme to me and that are not helpful to my ability to just live my life in a good way and that take me to no conclusions that are actionable. So one thing that I think about a lot, I live in the suburbs. And when I start thinking about sustainability, I feel horrible for living in the suburbs. And then I get myself into this conundrum of everybody needs to live in cities because at least we can do everything more efficiently in cities and we won't have as much transportation and all of that. Or I think, no, 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 what we should really do is like move way out into the middle of nowhere and grow all of our own food and have solar panels everywhere. So can you help me think about that? Yes, I would try. (laughs) (laughs) What you're really getting at is I think we, we tend to focus on the problems and the issues. And it's true, like you say, no matter where we live, there are different costs and benefits. We can't all live in the cities. It doesn't work. And even if you live in a city, you're still reliant on places outside the city for food, for goods, for all kinds of things. And if we we're we're never going to go back to individual homesteads, everybody is raising their own food and we don't want to. Right. The Industrial Revolution has brought us so many benefits we need to be grateful to our history. You know, without coal, we wouldn't have all of the benefits that we have today. We wouldn't have modern medicine in the way we have it today. We wouldn't have, you know, these distance education and opportunities to talk with people thousands of miles from us. So you say, heck, we probably wouldn't have women's <laughs> suffrage. Without we probably wouldn't. Exactly. So there's no perfect one solution. We can't change the world that we live in. We just need to shift towards a more sustainable lifestyle and social infrastructure. And it's it's challenging, but we can do that in rural areas and we can do that in cities and we can do that in the suburbs. I think what complicates the conversation on climate change is, you know, when I was growing up and we would talk about climate change, and I feel some of this even now, there's this sense of like, the world is going to come to an end. And I think what people are understanding, I'm hoping, but I do think because of just basic human psychology, this makes it harder, is the world is not going to come to an end. The earth will still be here, but the world as we know it will change fundamentally. And in sort of slow and incremental ways. So, you know, I think the the conversation about climate change happens in this sort of apocalyptic way. But really what we need to understand is like with Hurricane Florence, I was listening on NPR this morning and they were saying with the past hurricane, people flooded, especially low income people flooded and left. 
And now there's in the same neighborhoods, people saying, I, I can't live here anymore. And that's, I think that the displacement of human beings and the changes that rising sea levels will bring is, is I think people are starting to really see it particular. I think hurricane season is bringing home climate change in a real way for people. And to say like what you, what we, what we have to convey is that it's not that the world's going to explode. It's that there's th- going to be these really fundamental changes to the ways people live, to the places people live. And no matter if you don't live in those places, those people have to go somewhere. And that's where things start to change for you. Because, I mean, I think for better or for worse, human beings have a basic human psychology, the sort of tragedy of the commons. Someone mm-hmm. else will fix it. It's happening to someone else. And that's just, that's the way our brains work, for better or for worse. And I think the the conversation about climate change has already always seemed sort of apocalyptic, far away, and happening to someone else. And I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the conversation, and maybe that's the work we all have to do, is to bring it home, to let people understand that this is going to affect you. I'll never forget a conversation I had with two Secret Service agents when I worked for Hillary Clinton's 2007 presidential campaign. And Al Gore had just won the Nobel Peace Prize, and they were so confused. They were like, what does that have to do with anything? And I I said, do you understand that when there's no water or when there's too much water or when there's too much heat or all these things that when the earth changes, people move. And that is a security risk for everyone. That is that changes the whole shape of nation states and the world. And you could kind of see them like, oh, I hadn't thought about it. I'm like, yeah, it's not just the earth. People live on the earth. And when the earth changes, people's lives change. And when people's lives change, everybody's lives change. This the group is big enough. And I think that's maybe that's the hopeful work we all need to do in our own private lives is having these conversations like climate change is not out there happening to someone else. It's happening to all of us right now. That's right. And I think hurricane season does bring that home for a lot of people. Seeing you know, Hurricane Harvey last year and Hurricane Florence this year have really given us you know, reason to wake up and pay attention and see that these changes are happening to us now. And for both of those storms, you know, the way they stalled out near the coast and just hung around, dropping more and more water, causing more and more flooding, that is predicted in the climate change models. So what we're actually seeing in terms of climate change impacts now has all been predicted by the models. It wasn't predicted to occur quite so soon, but I think in a way that is, you know, it gives us an important rallying point. It, yeah. we, we need this wake up call because climate change, yes, it will affect the polar bears and the penguins and the people in Asia right now dealing with typhoon Mangat, but it's also affecting us here. It's affecting our agriculture. Climate change is already contributing to agricultural losses here. And it's predicted to get worse because our infrastructure is all built around and adapted for the climates that were there at the time. That is the real challenge. Yes, the earth gets warm, it gets cold, animals move, animals adapt. That's never happened with so many people on this planet who rely on city infrastructure, who expect coastlines to be in certain places. I live in Virginia and Newport News and Virginia Beach is the area in the U.S. with the fastest rising sea level. Wow. It's also home of our largest naval base, Norfolk. Oh, wow. And believe me, the Department of Defense has been addressing, you know, looking at climate change issues for longer than (laughs) 
any of our representatives in Congress would care to acknowledge. Yeah, seriously, that's the thing I tell people. I'm like, you know, we can keep fighting about this, but you better believe that the military and like Disney and massive corporations have accepted this as the new reality and they're dealing with it. These sources that we all look to for efficiency and sort of the right way to move, they've already accepted this and moved on. I can't believe we're still even a little bit arguing about it amongst ourselves politically. Right. It's a huge challenge that we have um, a significant portion of our political system just refusing to acknowledge it. And that's really setting us back in terms of solutions being implemented at a wide scale. Luckily, we have a lot of states that are moving forward and doing what they can on a regional basis to start lowering emissions and looking at both uh, mitigation strategies to lower emissions and adaptation strategies to uh, build some resilience to deal with the consequences of climate change. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I wonder why this issue seems so different than other issues. Because when I hear people who object to climate science, I don't know that they're objecting to the idea that the earth is changing as much as to the idea that we should be doing something in response to that. And I get that throughout human history, lots of things have changed. The planet has changed. The economy has changed. All kinds of things change. This seems to be the one issue where politically we have a group of people folding up their arms and saying, we don't respond to change as human beings. We're just going to stop right here. We are no longer going to adapt to challenges. And I don't know if that's because we feel indicted by climate science. And if we could get past that sense of indictment, maybe we could move forward. I don't know. How do you think of that as a scientist? So I think there are actually two views to this. One is to think about climate change and think about a parallel of what happened with cigarettes and tobacco. There is a very powerful, rich lobby out there feeding misinformation, feeding people's opinions that, you know, the idea that the science isn't settled, the science has been settled for a long time, but, you know, the cigarette manufacturers did the same thing. We don't know that this is what's causing cancer. And they did that as long as they could. And now, you know, we're seeing the same thing has happened with the oil and gas industry for a long time. They have perpetuated this myth that, well, we don't really know, you know what's going on. We don't really know what effect this is going to have. There's also very strongly just the you know, human reactions. Part of it is, like you say, it, you know, it often makes us feel bad. We're hearing that we're the culprits for having a certain lifestyle, which you know, we bought into this lifestyle not knowing the consequences. And so to then be told, well, you know, this is a bad lifestyle, you're doing things wrong. You know, we don't want to hear that. And associated with that is there aren't direct observable changes that people have seen until recently. I hope that people are now seeing that. But the quiz I sent you both, uh, Yale University has a climate communication group, and they have this Six Americas Super Short Survey, SASE survey. And, you know, what it finds is that most people are not denying climate change in the least. Most people just aren't really sure. And most importantly, they don't think it's going to affect them. It's happening out there to someone else. Elise, I have to thank you for helping us have a much-needed conversation and hopefully bringing it back home to understand this is a thing happening now to all of us and is definitely going to affect all of us. And I, I think giving us some hopeful notes to focus on. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope that we can you know, keep talking about climate change both on the podcast and in our lives. You know, Communicating about climate change, talking to people about it, is one of the most important first steps that we can make to changing our cultural response. 
And there's some great ways to get involved beyond those daily actions that you know anybody can look online, take a quiz, look for some uh, individual things you can do in your life. But you know, it's really moving beyond that and looking at at a state and federal level, how we can help shift the policy conversation that matters the most. And we are seeing some really hopeful signs. There is uh, bipartisan support for a carbon tax legislation. And, you know, the more we can get behind that, I think that's really going to be an important step in finding solutions to climate change. There's a climate solutions caucus that is a bipartisan caucus in our legislature that is working on carbon tax and other solutions. And there's a citizens climate lobby that is a place for individual citizens to sign up and get more involved in communicating with our representatives about this issue. Well, thank you so much for those action items and that policy perspective. I know that our listeners are going to dig into the resources that you sent us. We'll put those in our show notes and also in our newsletter. And thank you again for reaching out and spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Beth. Yeah. What's on your mind outside politics? Every once in a while, I need someone to just sit me down to say, Beth, let's talk about your parenting. And I got that this week on a podcast from an unexpected place. Reserve your judgment. Reserve judgment. Because I'm trying to put my judgment down as well. But listen, you and I have been co- quoting this podcast to each other a lot recently. It's the goop. Yeah, and y'all. Gwyneth, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gwyneth. Because I have had such a high and mighty mm-hmm. disdain mm-hmm. for some of the product recommendations. Which are problematic. We are not saying they are problematic. Some of them are very problematic. Okay. But the goop podcast brings it. It's really good. <laughs> they had this one with Marianne Williamson, and she just shut down the privilege in such a way it was giving me life. Because there's a lot of privilege. There's some privilege in the Goop universe. Let's just that's their thing. They own that. It's not like I'm saying anything controversial. Although they do think say things controversial. <laughs> but anyway, so you listen to one about parenting. Yes, I'm going to talk about a Goop podcast on the Nuance Life this week too, because there have been two really great ones. But this one was with Joe Newman, who wrote a book called Raising Lions. And here's my takeaway from it. He said, essentially, all kids are just trying to find their autonomy in the world. Mm. And parents aren't good at respecting kids' autonomy. And we used to spank kids and hit them and yell at them. Mm -hmm. And we have learned that that's not the way. Some of us still yell, full disclosure. But we have replaced that with lecturing and moralizing. And when he said that, I was like, oh, I do that. (laughs) I can deliver a very calm but very intense lecture. And Mm. I do that with my little ones. Even as I'm saying it, I feel like an idiot because I know that I've lost them. But I do it. And and he says, like, essentially, stop. Be a person who just offers your kids choices in a pretty neutral way. You do this, you're going to take a break. You're not going to get to play. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get to participate and be with other people. Don't want to do that? Just don't do the thing. Mm-hmm. And, and they know, because they know when they hit their brother, it's wrong. Right. They know pulling their sister's hair is not okay. You don't have to explain to them that that's wrong. You just need to remove them from the situation neutrally. He says, just just lean over and say, you need to take a break now. 
and you need to teach them self-calming skills. And you can talk about it a little bit afterward, but mostly we're just doing way too much talking and not enough coaching where you just say, you're, you know, you're going to you're going to hit the bench for a second. And it was very helpful to me. And I feel like I have had a much better time with my children in the past couple of days since I listened to this podcast. Also been really effective. Ellen never wants to eat dinner or breakfast at all. She's a fit every time we come to the table. So I've just said, hey, if you're going to have a fit, why don't you go in the living room? Just take a break. You don't need to be at the table with us this morning. I set her on the couch for her break. A few minutes later, she comes back to the table, delightful, eats every bit of food on her plate. How about that? I'm just telling you, Joe Newman, on to something. Here's where I'm at with this. I think that a while ago, I kind of realized that the reality of human beings is everyone truly is doing the best they can do, including children. The other reality of human beings is... It's hard to be around human beings even when they're doing the best they can, particularly, oh, I don't know, like a three-and-a-half-year-old. The issue is because I think there was so there's so many narratives in parenting of like they're trying to show you, they know, you know, they're just manipulating you or you have to show them that they just can't, they know that's not the right thing to do. That Yeah, but sometimes all of us make not the best choice just because that's the capacity we're at right now. You know, like we all eat foods or drink or smoke or do things that we're like, oh, I know I shouldn't do this. But it's just like the best you can do in that moment because you're tired or because whatever. And, you know, so do they. Just the best they can do sometimes is to pitch a temper tantrum because they have no other tools at their disposal. And it's almost about like just giving myself the grace to realize like, yeah, sometimes they're doing their best and their best is super not fun to be around and awful for me. And that's okay. Like, that's just okay. I'm not going to lecture or yell or, and you know, punish my way out of that. Like, it's just that's the reality of being a parent. That's a reality about, of being a human being around other human beings. Sometimes it sucks to be around other human beings. That's just <laughs> that's my revolutionary breakthrough for today, y'all. You're welcome. Um, it's just and so I think bringing that to parenting for me has just been really helpful. Like, I'm not and I also try to, like, pray every morning that I am just gardening. I am just trying to give them the best environment and help them grow. I am not sculpting them into who I want them to be. I am not, you know, applying a chisel and a hammer to get the person that I think is the the best person they can be. Like that's just that is a recipe for everybody crying. So it is hard. It's just hard. It's hard to be around little kids. <laughs> I don't know how to say that any other way. Like a three and a half year old while very adorable and hilarious is also what I like to call a tiny little terrorist. And it's just, you know, I think giving, just understanding, like, they're doing the best they can. It's just going to be hard sometimes. Like, they're not going to be well-behaved all the time. They're going to have struggles just like the rest of us. And just giving space for, to allow that to happen is one of the best things I've done. That framing of autonomy and just providing choices mm -hmm. really hit me because I'm so good at that with adults. I totally understood that about the workplace. Like people often said that I was really great at cultivating a great morale in the workplace. I 100% think that's because I just respect other people. And I know that adults don't respond to moralizing. Mm -hmm. And I know that people really just want to be seen as people. And when you put when you put it to me as like, so do your children, I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I just haven't been doing it. Because I think with children, it feels a little bit like an abdication of responsibility yeah. not to be sculpting and not to be teaching all the time. But 
the truth is they're they're learning from my actions, not from my lectures. Yep. And I just need to do this. So anyway, it was great. It was a really great podcast. We'll put it in the show notes. If you have kids, highly recommend. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsu Politics. We will be back in your ears on Wednesday over at the Nuance Life talking about, I'm going to sing, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. I don't get to sing on this podcast enough. We need to build more of that in. Um, And then we will be back. I was like, okay, great. And then we will be back on Friday with another episode of Pantsu Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsy Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.